Since the day she gave me that coveted final rose, my wife, Trista Sutter, has made me a better person. If she can get me to know better, to do better, and to just all around be better, then I'm sure she can do it for you too. You're listening to Better Etc. with my wife and your host, Trista Sutter. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to talk to you about our incredible sponsor, BetterHelp. You guys, I just signed up myself and am really excited to be able to connect with a professional counselor. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling. And the best part is it is done in your own home from the comfort and safety of your own home. So ask yourself, does anything interfere with your happiness? Is there something that is preventing you from achieving your goals? Are you dealing with depression? Are you dealing with anxiety? Are you having problems in your relationships? Are you dealing with grief or issues with anger or self-esteem? You can talk to people in just under 48 hours after you sign up. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com etc. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash E-T-C. Hey, everybody, and Happy New Year. You guys, it's 2021. We made it. Can you believe it? <laughs> anyway, I am so excited to welcome you back to Better Etc. I took a little holiday break, but I am fully refreshed and ready to bring you a year of great guests and great conversations, starting with today's episode. I've been very mindful about not stepping on the toes of the Bachelor podcast out there and really creating a space that wasn't reliant on my Bachelor family. But that's not to say that the people in that family don't have important stories to share on how we can all be better. They most certainly do. But I thought it was important to be very intentional when it came to my first Bachelor Nation guest. I didn't want it to be about playing favorites, although today's guest is definitely one of those. I wanted it to be about important and relevant conversations focused on how we can be better because, you know, better, etc. And this conversation fits the bill perfectly. 2020 was a big year. Tensions were high with an election. We had and still have a global pandemic where we've had to deal with Horrible deaths and unemployment, shutting down businesses, feeling isolated and disconnected, not being allowed to travel and celebrate special days with our families and friends, being made to live in a scary, unknown, and unprecedented world. Add to that all that was happening in terms of racial injustice. 2020 brought to light a lot of things that have been going on for a long time. A lot of necessary conversations were started about equality and how we treat each other in our country. And I think it's really important to continue having these conversations and making strides towards progress. So I reached out to Rachel Lindsay. We met at the Bachelorette reunion a couple years ago, and I was just drawn to her and her energy. I look to her as a huge role model. She stands up for things she believes in and has such a wonderful way of being vulnerable and sharing her struggles and insight in an effort to make changes that are important to her, not only as an American, but as a proud Black woman. We talk all about racial injustice and bias, privilege and stereotypes, and how, like the song from the play Avenue Q, we are all a little bit racist. But it doesn't end there. She shares her views on how we can be better allies 
in the fight for racial equality, how we can treat everyone better and create a happier world of acceptance and love. She shares personal stories of how she's been directly affected by prejudice, whether as a young girl, a lawyer, or even as the bachelorette, and how she has coped and how she copes currently in those instances. We laugh, we cry, we get emotional, but we also get into some fun stuff like when are her and Brian planning on having babies? Now, I understand that some people may think that much of this conversation is political, but to me, it's not about politics at all. It's about acknowledging the privileges that many of us are born with, realizing that no matter the color of our skin, we all look at certain races and place stereotypes on those individuals because of generational lessons that our parents and their parents and theirs before them may have passed down to us without even knowing it, as well as the lessons we learn from our childhood communities, from our present communities, from our schools and workplaces. It is up to us to recognize these inadvertent biases so that we can create a better world where everyone feels heard and valued. And I want to be part of that shift toward healing and equality by having open and honest conversations like this. I hope you all continue listening in on my chat with Rachel. It's a big one. And she shares some pretty big stories that she has never shared before. And when this episode ends, I hope you'll continue to tune in every Tuesday because as Chris Lane says, I've got some big, big plans. So click subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and leave five stars and a review so we can keep creating a better world, one podcast and one person at a time. Thank you so much for choosing to spend the next uh, about an hour <laughs> here with me. Happy New Year. Here we go. Welcome, everybody, to Better Etc. I am here with a friend that I actually met. Was it two years ago? Yeah, I guess that was the first time we met. So two years wow. ago, I met this beautiful woman at a little reunion that you may have all watched on television. She is a fellow podcaster. She's got two podcasts, Higher Learning and then, of course, Bachelor Happy Hour. She's what I consider an activist. She is the first Black Bachelorette. and and a friend of mine. So welcome, Rachel Lindsay. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Trista. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so excited to have you. As I told you on the phone when I reached out to you, I've been trying to be very thoughtful about having bachelor people come on the podcast because, you know, I don't want to step on the toes of those of you who have bachelor podcasts besides the fact that I want it to be different conversations, you yeah. know, like I, I have a specific thing that I want to tackle. I want to have people on to talk about how they can be better. And I can definitely reach out to lots of people from The Bachelor, but I have been very thoughtful about who I would have. And I feel like in today's day and age and what's going on in the world, it was a very relevant topic to have you come on and talk about social injustice and racism, anti-racism, where your head's at, all of it. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a really important conversation. So thank you so much for, for gracing me with your presence. Oh, thank you for asking me to come on. And also, I'm so honored. You know, you were very intentional about who you wanted to put on the podcast. So I feel very honored that you, you chose me. So thank I did. you. You're welcome. <laughs> okay, so I want to start with just giving you a basic explanation of like, I... I try to, with every single podcast, start with the basics. Like, I want to act like a listener. So 
I am coming from the perspective of someone who is tuning in who may have never heard your name before or may have not watched the show or may not know about your other podcasts and what you stand for. So when I ask questions, it will be coming from that space. And, okay. and really just, I want, I like to break things down and make them simple, simplify everything and do the how, what, when, where, why of it all, you know? I love it. And then also what, what was really interesting to me in doing kind of my prep work for this, I came upon this article it was written by a black woman, and she said specifically that it's extremely off-putting. Like, I think she said there's nothing more off-putting to her than having a white person ask her questions about racism. And so I wanted to know what you think about that, because obviously I'm a white person asking a black person questions about racism. How? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, there's like, two schools of thought when it comes to this. I i don't know if I've ever heard anyone say that they don't like being asked questions. What I more so hear people say is, I don't want to teach you okay. how to not be a racist. Right. And that I understand. I think it's a little different when you're a friend and you're asking questions because to me, you're putting in you're at least taking the right steps to try to understand what is going on. And I think what you're yeah. seeing a lot in 2020 is that people, what is happening in 2020 has been going on. The reality is we have the perfect storm of what 2020 has become to where now we have your undivided attention to really have you focused on what has been happening in this country. And people are waking up in a way they never have before. And they're recognizing their own privileges, even if they didn't, you know, I think a lot of times people say, oh, well, I don't do that. So I'm not that. But there are these subconscious thoughts we have. We all have them. There is this Broadway play called Avenue Q. I don't know if you've ever seen it. No. And, and the most popular song from it is Everyone's a Little Bit Racist. And it's it's puppets singing this song. Oh. It's an adult play with puppets. Oh, I have it's heard. Funny. Is it kind of like a Sesame Street thing, like with those kind of puppets? They look like that. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's really funny, but it's so true. And it's and it sounds harsh to say we're all a little bit racist. But the point of the song is that we all have certain stereotypes that we place on certain genders that we place on on certain races. And, and we're all guilty of it. But what you're seeing with the Black Lives Matter movement is people are understanding their own privileges and their own biases in a way that they never have before. Yeah. So for me. It's a long way to say for me, I don't mind you asking questions. What I don't want to do is do the work for you. Yeah. You know, now that you're aware, okay, maybe ask like, Hey, what can I read? What can I watch? What can I listen to? Um, how do I go about this with my children and my friends or this family member? And, you know, maybe I can guide you in the right direction, but to, to really understand and to really show that you're trying to make a change, you've got to do the work mm -hmm. and put in the effort. So that's where I come from. Please ask me. Please ask me all the questions. But, you know, at some point I'm going to say, okay, now right. you're properly equipped. <laughs> totally. <laughs> that makes complete sense. You know, I took the article as as being a bit harsh. Just the her wording was was a bit more harsh. But I totally get it. I, I get that you're like, you know what? I'm not going to spend my time educating you on everything. I'll right. give you I'll give you the kind of the guide and the path and tell you about my experiences. 
I would, I would assume that's kind of what you're saying. Yeah. So yeah, I'm glad because obviously that's why we're here. You know, <laughs> I, I want to get, I want to get the stories. I want to yeah. get your story, your history, how everything has been affecting you personally and your outlook on it and what you think we all can do to be better. So yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, everybody, I'm going to take a quick break right now so I can tell you all about our incredible sponsors. Okay, so who else out there thought that 2020 needed a kick in the glass? Well, my next sponsor, Ghost Tequila, could certainly have done that. And I don't know about you all, but I have so many friends who only drink tequila. It is their only drink of choice, and they love it. So for all of those people out there who think the same thing, that tequila is your thing and you're not going to touch anything else, you have to try Ghost Tequila. It is 100% agave azul tequila, born in Boston, but distilled in Mexico. It is perfect for sipping solo or giving your favorite drink that little kick in the glass by making it the star of your next cocktail. You can elevate the classics like margaritas and palomas, sunrises and bloody marias. Or you can try it in a spicy Mexican mule. I love a mule. Old-fashioned or even in a strawberry daiquiri. It will take your margarita to the next level. And that was said in Fortune magazine. So order your bottle online at ghosttequila.com and use code ETC for 20% off your order. Plus check out the cocktail page for over 30 recipes that you can make at home. That's ghosttequila.com to order a bottle today and use code ETC for 20% off your order. 21 and over, please ghost responsibly. So to start off, I want to kind of get to know who Rachel Lindsay is. So talk to me about your upbringing, your childhood, your family, your education, and where you are now. I'm from Dallas, Texas. I grew up with two sisters. I'm a middle child, probably in every sense of the word. <laughs> you know, those stereotypes placed on me probably are true. Not that my parents made me feel a certain way. I never felt left out, but I feel like I was always being stuck in the middle. We're all evenly distanced apart. We're all four and a half years apart. That shows you how particular, pragmatic my parents are. Um, I was always like seeking attention and doing a lot, but I grew up in. I would say like an upper middle-class family. My dad was an attorney growing up and my mom, and then became a federal judge. And my mom was a programmer. Then she stopped working for a bit. And then she worked as a computer teacher for over 20 years. Went to private school. I lived a life where I watched the Cosby's on TV, the Huxtables as they were. And I said, oh my gosh, those are, they're black people that I can relate to that look like me on television. Same thing with Fresh Prince. Uncle Phil was an attorney and then a judge. I related to that. I related to those experiences. And the reason why it's important for me to say that is I, I come from a black family. I am black. But when I was younger, I got teased a lot by black children because I wasn't black enough. They wondered why I went to school with the majority white people, why I talked a certain way, why I acted a certain way. And I felt very uncomfortable growing up because they made me feel less than. Mm -hmm. And it was very confusing as a child because I was like, but I look like you. My parents look like you. I'm black. But I was constantly having to prove my blackness. They actually called me white girl a lot, uh, whether that was in the neighborhood, whether it was at church, whether it was in summer track, which was majority black. 
I was constantly having to prove who I was to the point where I felt very uncomfortable being in black circles because they didn't accept me. And I felt way more comfortable around my white friends from school because they accepted me. And then a part of me felt like I couldn't be my full self uh, being black because I didn't know if my white friends would accept me. So it was in this weird place. And you hear actually a lot of uh, biracial people talk about this. They're too one way or they're not enough this way, whatever races it is that you're mixed with. And I had that feeling, but I wasn't biracial. I was being told just simply because of the way I acted or the school that I went to that I wasn't black enough. And that was really tough for me up until I went into high school. It started to change for me and people started to accept me a little bit. And I started to be very comfortable with who I was. And I was just kind of like, take me as I am. You're either going to accept me or you're not. And then I think kids kind of grow out of the making fun of you thing just because you're different Mm -hmm. and you get a little bit older. So I, I just say that all to say it really shaped who I was because when I went to college, I was really immersed myself in black culture because I didn't have that as much going to, you know, at school, you're at school all day. So I was around majority white kids all day. So I immersed myself in the African-American culture committee. I was big on black student Alliance. I I joined a majority black sorority. I was in African-American culture classes, um, studies classes. And it was just really important to me that I learned a lot. Uh, My parents, of course, taught me who I was always. But in school, I didn't necessarily get that. In the friend group that I was with, I didn't get that. So, and I say that to say, you know, now that I have this platform, there are a lot of people who look at me now and say, oh, she's just being so vocal because that's a sign of the times. And what I want people to understand with me is I had an entire life before you met me on The Bachelor first and then as The Bachelorette. I had different experiences. I had ups and downs. I wasn't always successful. I had failed relationships. I really struggled with who I was and my learning my true self. So by the time you saw me on The Bachelor, that was 31 years of work to get to where I am now. If I had been on The Bachelor, oh my gosh, at 24, 25, I wouldn't be sitting in front of you today. There's no, I would have been, I would have never been a bachelor (laughs) at all. But, and, I, and I'm saying that about the, the sign of the times thing is that I was always very involved with making sure that I represented myself as a black woman. Even being an attorney, I was challenged in certain ways where um, I started off working in municipalities and I was a prosecutor and attorneys would walk in and ask where the attorney was. And it was me, I'm sitting in the attorney chair and they just assumed I was a law student, a law clerk, a paralegal, like nobody, um, the court reporter, nope, not, it didn't happen all the time, but it happened enough for me to recognize it. Mm-hmm. I had, I was, I would be in depositions with attorneys where they were so disrespectful to me, would yell at me, would point their fingers in my face. But if my white male counterpart, they wouldn't treat like that at all. So I definitely have a thick skin. I've definitely been here before. I was very, very rocked by Trayvon Martin, which the death happened in 2012. The verdict came in 2013 when George Zimmerman was found not guilty. That's when I really started to get more into, I don't really consider myself an activist. I just consider myself vocal, Mm -hmm. but that's when I got into activism. And I just remember being crushed. I remember protesting in Dallas, Texas. I remember attending rallies and just really becoming involved in what was happening to Black people in this country. I knew about it, but I kind of went about my day. 
I was like, oh, that's really awful. But I did, I wasn't knowledgeable about it. So I, starting from 2012 leading into 2013, which is also when Black Lives Matter movement was established. It was after the Trayvon Martin case where a group of people got together together, and they said, we're going to create Black Lives Matter. And it's it's so interesting because when that started, people were not receptive to it. And that's when you saw people say, well, of course, Black Lives Matter, my li- white lives matter, Latino lives matter, you know, women's lives matter. Like everybody was saying it all and they weren't understanding. We're saying, of course, your lives matter, but ours do too. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to, to emphasize. And now in 2020, people get in a different way. But I'm just saying all that to say, because you did give me the leeway to say, oh, yes, who I did. you are, Rachel. Who you are. Open it's door. All these different experiences that have happened to my life that have led me to this place, which is why I feel when the chance came for me to be the bachelorette and I originally said no, it was, and I've said this before, it was a, a black mother saying to me who found out that I was going to be on The Bachelor, oh my gosh, I'm so happy that you're doing it and you're going to be representing and I know that you'll do it well and my daughter can see someone you know, like you be on the show. And I thought, you know what? That's why I need to do The Bachelorette. I literally I thought, just got chills. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's crazy when you sit back and you reflect on all the things that have happened to you like happened for you and to you mm. for you to get to a certain point. I wasn't even into The Bachelor. I, your season is, you're the only name I knew. I didn't even know who really? JoJo was and she came from my city. Yes, I had no, I knew who Trista was. That's it. I didn't watch your season, but I was very aware of who you are. I could pick you out of a That's crowd. That's crazy. Nobody oh, no else oh. had I heard of. And so yeah. I just felt like this is, I felt like it was a calling for me. Mm-hmm. And I know people look at the show and it's like, oh, it's like a silly show, but you know, it works. I know it works for me. But at the time I didn't know it was going to work. I just thought this is a, an opportunity for me to represent myself in a way that I know can be very meaningful and impactful. So I didn't want to turn that down. And I'm so glad that I didn't because I've been able to be vocal and I've been able to say, hey, we've got to carve a path for others and other people of color need their stories told and deserve their chance at love. And I'm happy that we're seeing that now. Yes. No kidding. It's so (laughs) exciting. I actually just saw someone, actually it was Claire. She posted a story about how her and Taisha have Hispanic backgrounds or mm-hmm. Latino backgrounds mm-hmm. and no one's talking about that. And I'm like, that's so true. Why aren't we? Because there are two minority races who are the leads or have been the leads right. this season. And that's amazing. So great. I did an, an article for the Hollywood reporter and I was like, please put this in the title. I said, yes, I'm the first black bachelorette. But what I'm seeing people say to Tasha is, oh, how does it feel to be the second Black Bachelorette? Yes, Tasha's a Black woman, but I said race has to be a part of the conversation, and this is why. Tasha is Black and Latina. She is a proud Mexican-American, and if you don't recognize that, you're taking something away from her, and in that right, she is the first, and you have to give that to her. Same with Claire, you know? Yeah, yeah. She's white and Latina. She was a first as well, and we have to recognize that, and Honestly, give The Bachelor credit for casting diverse leads. That's three in a row. Oh, no, and Peter. Peter, too. Peter was Latino. That's four in a row. I'm trying to think of if there are any others in the past who who may not 
have been as vocal about it, but probably not. I don't think Just there Juan are. Pablo. Juan Pablo, right? Yes. Okay. Right. Okay. I love this. I love that. And I, I love that you were so vocal about increasing the diversity in the Bachelor franchise. I think that was so important and it is so timely. They, you know, I remember talking about it with someone, I don't know what it was for or when it was, maybe it was you talking on an interview about someone asking if you felt like it was too little too late or something to that effect. And Mm. what my thought was, I think it's great. I mean, yes. Is it too, is it too late? Not too late. Is it late? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. But I think that they have learned, they have listened and they made a change. And that's exactly what you're vocal about. That's why you're vocal. That's why all of us are vocal. That's why, that's why you speak up for the things that you believe in so that change can happen and change Mm -hmm. has happened. Absolutely. Yes, I gave you that open door and I love that you took it and ran with it because that's what I wanted to hear. What I would love to know is when do you remember in early childhood first recognizing your your differences in race or what your race was? Oof, I can't think of a specific moment, but I would definitely say extremely young because I went to the same school from pre-K, pre-pre-K, from like being three years old all the way to graduating from high school at 18, I was very aware that I did not look like my friends. I remember as a child wanting to fit in and wanting to be just like them because I knew that I was different. I wanted white dolls. I remember I told my mom that I wanted my little sister to be white. I've like never said that out loud because that's so embarrassing for me to say. I said white or purple, but the fact that I said white. Yeah, right. So yeah. I rem- and I think my parents were kind of like, okay, we got to we got to we got to rein this in a bit. And yeah. you know, credit to my parents because they always re- knew that yes, majority of my day I spent around around white people, but they made sure that in the neighborhood kids, you know, that I got a diverse, I had diversity in my neighborhood. I had diversity at church. I had diversity when I did summer track, which I started at the age of six. Even if I felt uncomfortable, my parents wouldn't let me quit. You know, they wanted to make sure that they diversified my life. I remember my parents, you know, whether it was church programs or going to the library during the summers uh, or Black History Month, I was always learning about the things that Black people did in this country. I was learning about our history in this country. And so I love that my parents never let me get lost. You know, they could have let me stay in that place as a child where I was asking for white things because I was trying to assimilate with the culture that I was around majority of the time. And instead they said, no, we have to remind her where she comes from and who she is. And I'm very grateful for that. As you should be. I think we all should be if we're given that kind of luxury, you know, and education. I think that just shows that your parents cared, you know. Mm-hmm. So I would love to get into some kind of some definitions, if you will, okay. and and really the basics. So I was listening to the Armchair Expert podcast that Dax Shepard does that is amazing. And um, he had Ibram X. Kendi, I believe is how you pronounce his name, who wrote How to Be an Mm Anti-Racist, talking about about racism and non-racist 
anti-racist and kind of the the differences there. And what was really interesting to me is a point that you brought up about how that song, um, about how we're all a little racist. And Dax said, you know, they were talking about this spectrum, if you will, mm-hmm. of racism and, and kind of the tip top is genocide and Hitler. And then there's the David Dukes of the world or, you know, there's all these levels, right? Yeah. And at the bottom, most level are maybe people like me and Dax who are born into a white. I was in the suburbs, you know, in St. Louis and Indiana and the Midwest. My parents were both white. Um, We were like middle class, you know, and and the things that the legacy that I have been given is one of being a white person, you know, mm-hmm. and not, yes, I am a woman. So I have that minority aspect in my life. But when everything kind of started this year, when everything mm-hmm. ramped up, I was very adamant in my mind that I was not a racist. Mm-hmm. And when I heard Dax Shepard, he, he basically just said, I I can't not be a racist because I have been born into the life that I was born into, essentially. Mm. And I felt like it was it was very, very interesting to me because non-racists, I don't know that they exist, kind of like you said, like we are yeah. a little bit racist, whether it's uh, the Latino culture or um, Asian culture or whatever. You have a certain stereotype. And right. you believe certain things because of the way that you were raised, where you grew up, you know, who you surround yourself with, your parents, your friends, your family, whatever, your co- your job, you know, yeah. everything, all of it. What are your thoughts on that? And, and as a Black woman, like, it's interesting to me because, you know, being a racist is not a white only thing. Right. It, it's really interesting to me thinking about... We all can't not be racist, but is that for all races or is that just for the white population? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's why that song is so funny. It's funny, but it's true because, you know, it's when we're kids, we don't pay attention to it. You know, you're playing with your friends. You don't care what they look like, what their gender is, where they come from, what their parents do, where they live. You don't care. You're just happy to see your friend. And then as you get older, you might watch something or hear your parents say something or another family member or a friend and you get and you start culturally or societal, you know, influence puts these biases and stereotypes into your mind subconsciously without, you don't act on it per se, but you think it, you know, whether it's you're crossing somebody on the street and you might hold your purse a little bit tighter. You might watch some, somebody on TV and you're like, wow, she's so well-spoken. And like, as if you've never heard a black person speak well before, you know, it's like, it's the microaggressions. I don't know if they talked about this on the podcast, but it's, not over racism, it's microaggressions that you place on people. Like, I don't know if you've heard that before, but I know a lot with me, some people will say, you're so eloquent. Well, that's technically a microaggression. Hmm. You know, would you say that to, I'll just use other bachelorettes, you know, like, would you say that to Becca? Would you say Becca's so eloquent? 
A lot of times, no, because, and so when you say it to a black person, it's as if you've never heard a black person speak in a proper way, like certain things like that, or wow, your skin is so beautiful. Like your brown skin or you're beautiful or you're pretty for a black girl. Oh gosh, people used to say that to me all the time and think it's a compliment. So it's like those subtle little things that people say, but you are right. We all do it. Black people do it to other races. You know, Latinos do it. White people do it. Asian people do it. Indian, we all have it in us. And I think the only way you're never going to fully get rid of it. It's more of being aware of it and then making sure that you don't act on it and then making sure you don't pass down those same thoughts to the next generation. You know, it's easy to just say something in such a flippant manner to a, in front of a child or someone else and not realize that they take that within them. And then they take it on, you know, as they grow up, you know, like they, they move with those thoughts. So I think, I mean, the best way to say it is like, you're never going to erase it completely. It's just not out there. Um, and I think you also have to erase the thought of, because I'm not overtly racist, I'm not racist. You've got to get that out of your head too. It's about recognizing certain things like privilege. Mm -hmm. Like, even though a lot of people will say, well, I don't have white privilege. I've heard this before because I didn't grow up in an affluent way. Well, you have to realize that the color of your skin gives you a certain privilege. You and I walk into a room, there are going to be certain biases that are placed on you and me. You know, if my, if I have a certain name that, you know, if you're reading a resume where you can tell like that I'm a certain race versus your name, it's also going to stand out in a different way to whoever that employer is going through those resumes. There's just certain privileges that some races have simply because of the color of their skin. And it's just recognizing that, you know, it's, it's, it's not a bad thing to, to recognize your privilege. And I think we have to get past that as well. Mm -hmm. It's just realizing that certain opportunities are afforded to certain groups of people that maybe others don't have. It's about recognizing, Hey, you might have generational wealth because of what your family was able to establish because they were give, allowed, you know, to move into a certain neighborhood in the suburbs and buy a certain house when blacks and Latinos weren't allowed, you know, to move into that neighborhood or weren't um, given loans for their businesses or their homes. It's things like that, that you have to recognize and be aware of. Yeah. Yeah. And as I was doing more research on all of this, the white privilege thing came up, of course, a lot. Mm -hmm. And what I found interesting about what, what I read was that, you know, as a white person, it is very easy to get defensive when you're told that you were privileged. And, you know, especially when you had a rough life, when you had yeah. difficulties, when you had hardships, when you had to fight just as hard, you feel like as any other color, you know, but I think what I found was a definition uh, that made sense was that it's something that is instilled in our society. It mm -hmm. is institutional. It is not a personal thing. It is it is within our society that, just as you said, if we walk into a room together or if we apply for the same job, that, you know, there might be a, a man sitting behind the desk or a woman sitting behind the desk who thinks that the white person is just going to be better for mm -hmm. whatever reason, without even looking at a resume, you know? So mm -hmm. I think it's just, it, people can't take it personally because it is what it is. 
And I feel like there are some ways that, like in sports, say. So like Ryan has said that, you know, in sports, he was always the minority when he played football. And so he was looked down upon kind of in a way, and he had to fight harder for for being able to be accepted as a good football player. When Mm -hmm. if a black guy came in and, you know, was trying out for the same position, they'd probably be like, I want in. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, it's a, it's assumed that he's better because typically you see black people succeed in football or yeah. basketball. You're right. And that's a stereotype that I would have. If I saw two guys, I'd be like, mm, if we were picking teams, I'd be like, I, I probably right. want him. <laughs> that's a total stereotype that yeah. I would have. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. That And this is why this this I love this conversation because it is important to recognize that we all do it to one another. And I have to recognize that I would want this person over this person simply because I'm assuming that you're not good because there's an entire movie called white men can't jump. Right. You know what I mean? (laughs) We've been playing into it for years and that's a great movie and it's a funny movie, but In that movie, they hustle people on the basketball court because everybody assumes the white guy sucks. Woody Harrelson, who plays it. Like, that's like the whole premise of the movie. (laughs) Totally. It's so true. But yeah, I feel like what people just need to realize is that it's not something to take personally, to take defense, like, don't get defensive over it. Just recognizing it, just as you said, being aware of it is the first step. And then doing the, the work to ensure that you aren't being a racist is the next step, you know, and being right. an anti-racist and act. And what he said, Ibram said was the anti-racist is the person who is doing the work. So that is my goal, mm-hmm. you know, and I hope for a lot of people out there that should be their goal too, is that we should be fighting for equality for everybody, you know? Yeah. Okay. So I know this year has been a really tough one. I mean, for more reasons than than one. But, you know, with with all yeah. of the social injustices that are happening, the police brutality, you know, the very well-known names, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, all of that. And I know you're you're an empathetic person, just like I am. I am a very I, I would consider myself mm-hmm. an empath. Like I just feel very deeply. I always have. I always will. And so I know that that's like I, I watched the interview that Brian did with you for his YouTube channel, Dr. Abs, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. which I love that mm-hmm. name, by the way, it's mm-hmm. hysterical. <laughs> but you were talking about how sometimes you can't watch movies because you feel too deeply. Oh, yeah, man. I feel that. I feel that 100%. So how are you feeling with everything in the country these days? I feel hopeful. And that's better for me to say because that's not how I felt in May. I'm telling you, Trista, in May... I couldn't take two steps in the mm. apartment without crying, which is, I, I posted a video when Ahmaud Arbery happened. I was rocked in a way like I was with Trayvon to see a man going on a run in a neighborhood and gunned down that way in 2020 shook me to my core. And I was crying privately. And then I said, I'm not going to cry privately. I want to make people feel uncomfortable because I want you to know this hurts me. This is deep. Like I'm feeling for his family, 
his friends, the community as a whole, this country that this that this is happening and it's in such a gruesome way. You know, it's like James Byrd in Texas, Jasper, Texas, being tied to a truck and dragged. This this is in the 21st century. Maybe that was the end of the 20th century. I'm not sure. It might have been 99. But the fact that, that that kind of stuff, that stuff that you would read about in a history book or see in a documentary, you would think, oh, that's not that stuff doesn't happen. It is still happening in present day. That Ahmaud mm-hmm. Arbery got me. And I I I literally could barely function. I'm not, I'm not kidding. Uh, just with the pandemic and everything else, and then that happens. And then after that literally is mm-hmm. we hear about George Floyd and then we hear about Brianna Taylor. And the sad thing is with Ahmaud Arbery and Brianna Taylor, that had happened in February and then in, in March. And we were going along with our lives and didn't even know about it, but their families fought for justice to get those tapes released, to bring it to national attention. And I just kept thinking how many, when I found out in May, how many other cases are like this, right? Like, How many other people have died and we have no idea? The young man in Colorado who, I cannot think of his name, please forgive me, but too many names to remember. But his case had happened over a year ago and we were just now finding out about it. And I just kept thinking, this is still happening and I'm still going about my life. And it's like, what can I do? What am I affiliated with that's on the wrong side of this? How can I use my voice and my platform? I have it now. I've got to be vocal. So there was a time that during those times, I was not hopeful. I was excited to see that people started to respond and people started to react in a way that they hadn't before because we had their undivided attention. Um, I was not a big fan, to be honest, of Blackout Tuesday. I felt like for those people who aren't being anti-racist, it was a way for you to be performative. Mm. And people were just checking to see who posted a black box. And there are a lot of people who posted it who have since removed it from their social media. Yes. And so I won't say any names, but there are people who have done that. And that lets me know you were just doing it to not mm. be called out. You really weren't putting in the work to understand how we even got to hashtag Blackout Tuesday. So I knew that with any trend, it was going to die down, and it has. But I am grateful, and this is what makes me hopeful, that we're sitting here at the end of the year and we're still having these conversations and talking about it and talking to you, Trista, and having you letting me share this platform, your platform with you to talk about being an anti-racist. That This is the kind of stuff that makes me hopeful. Oh, I'm trying not to get emotional. It just, it's like, you're still listening. You're still paying attention to what's happening in our country. You're realizing that the work isn't done just because we had people captivated for a couple of months. We still have to keep going, not for our generation, but for the next generation. So I, I'm, I'm grateful that a new administration has come in because I just feel like the one we had before wasn't trying to bring this country together. I, but I also am not, 
you know, naive enough to think that just because we have somebody new in that it's all going to change. We've still got to do the work and we've got to hold the people who have the power and who make these decisions accountable for the promises that you made to us as a country. You promised to unify this country. So what steps are you going to take to do that? I'm not saying you have to be all pro-Latino or all pro-Black or anti-police. What I'm saying is, how do we come together to better understand each other so we can get back to being the nation that we were and we're not politicizing the police force and public health and racism? You know, I just want to get back to being um, a better or maybe not even get back to it. Let's just be a better America because maybe we've never been that before. Uh, that's what I was going to say. I was like, I don't know that I want to go back. I want to go forward. <laughs> I want to go forward. I want it. I want our nation to be better, to be a nation that we can be proud of again, that, you know, people aren't laughing at us. You know, we're not the laughing stock across the across the pond, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> I have family in Germany and it's they have been considering coming back to the States for a couple of years now. And I feel like this year <laughs> they're like, yeah, no, thanks. We're going to stay put. <laughs> exactly. And they are smart for that. Yeah, right. I know. I mean, I kind of wish I could go over there or to Canada sometimes, you know, I, I am a patriot and I love my country, but you know, it's been a rough year. It's yeah. been a really rough year. Hey, everybody. So sorry to cut this conversation short, but Rachel and I could have talked for hours. So I made the decision to cut her episode into two different parts. And next week, you'll be able to tune into the second half. We get into more of her personal stories on how people have made her feel less than, made her feel unequal because of the color of her skin. And we get into how she copes. We get into lots of great information on how you can educate yourself on how to be better, on what is going on in our world, and how you can be part of the solution. We also talk about some fun stuff. So I hope you'll tune in next week and head to wherever you listen to your podcasts. Give us a five stars and subscribe as well as if you could put in the review how you plan on being better tomorrow. I would love to hear all of your answers. So thank you so much for listening today and have a great week. Bye.